podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Ready to either knock out or be knocked out. You can tell me which. <laughs> the World Cup group stages have come to an end. And we are beginning the round of 16 today. Absolutely no rest for the wicked. Let's look at yesterday's games first. Number one game, South Korea 2. Portugal 1. Portugal heavily rotated, but went ahead through Ricardo Horta, who's in the squad largely because Diogo Jota is injured. Kim, one of the Kims, equalised on 27 minutes before Huang Hee-chan latched on to a lovely pass from Hyungmin Son after a great run to make it 2-1 to South Korea and send South Korea through to the knockout phases. Carl, thoughts on the game and thoughts on South Korea joining Japan in these knockout phases representing Asia and keeping a nice diverse split among the teams in the knockout stages. Yeah, uh, I mean, I only really watched the first half a bit more closely. I didn't watch the second half as much because I was more interested in the other game, which we'll get to. But I thought South Korea were okay uh, in terms of possession and moving the ball nicely. They didn't really have loads and loads of the ball, but Portugal were a little bit of a split team, I think. I thought they might have rotated more than they did. Um, They looked okay in some of their build-up play, but then up front, I thought it was all quite sort of disinterested and not great link-up play and all very individual. Um, Horrendous, horrendous error from someone, I can't remember who, for the South Korea equaliser. You'll have to refresh my memory on that one. Uh, It seems to have made a lot of people happy anyway. Uh, Diogo Delo? (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. A big man up front, usually. Oh, yes, the man himself. Yes, try, tried to claim a goal the other day, which wasn't his, and then did give a goal to somebody else today, or yesterday. Yeah. So, uh, it, Anyway, it was not really of any relevance to Portugal, other than, like I say, I thought they might have changed a bit more of the team around. Um, still, Leal can't get in the team, even with rotations. I yeah. don't know what's going on there, but obviously he's not fancied by... Um, Fernando Santos. Santos. So maybe, maybe if there is a change at the helm of Portugal uh, after this World Cup, maybe that's basically what he's going to have to wait for because he's clearly not a managerial favourite at the minute. Um, South Korea, I thought were okay. They dealt well with not having Kim uh, Kim Min Jae at the back. I thought Kim Young Won, his centre back partner, was really really good. Uh, I think he's had a, a very strong tournament so far. Obviously, he got the equaliser, but it was you know, tapping. It's not anything of note that much other than the fact it is a goal. Um, Son, I guess, 
joined the party. I don't think he's been too good up until now for, for South Korea, but he, he had a, a couple of impactful moments during the match, obviously the biggest one late on in the game. Yeah, and it's a, it's a lovely run, a lovely pass, and it's a great finish from Wang, who timed his run really well. I don't understand why Portugal played Cristiano. I assume he insisted on playing, hoping that he could, you know, nick a penalty or get a tap-in. But there was no real purpose in playing him, and he was awful again. Playing Jean-Mario left wing over Rafael Leao is one of the more ridiculous decisions I've seen any manager make at this tournament. Mm-hmm. But, look, you, the Koreans can only beat who's in front of them. Like you said, they didn't have Kim Min-jae, who's their best defender, but they played well, they defended well, they got forward when they could, and they took advantage of the fact that Portugal switched off. And they have advanced, and, you know, the group just worked out in their favour. They haven't been inspiring or anything, but they are through. And they are through at the hands of Uruguay, Carl. Uruguay beat Ghana 2-0. Uh, first up, Andre Ayu misses a penalty. Has a chance to get a bit of retribution for what happened 12 years ago, but it's a really soft penalty. And then Georgian Diarasqueta, who I said needed to be in the team to bring creativity... He gets a goal on 26. It's a tap-in. It's a Suarez shot that saves, and he just kind of nudges it over the line. And then on 32, he scores a really good, nice goal. It's great work by Darwin, and then Suarez with an outstanding assist. Sets him up. It's a great finish. It's 2-0 Uruguay, and Uruguay look like they're sailing through. Now, I don't have any sympathy for Uruguay because we've talked about how how poor and disappointing they were in their first two games. But, Carl, they were robbed yesterday. There was two, in my opinion, stonewall penalties, one on Darwin and the one on Cavani. I'm sorry, I don't know how it's not a penalty. And it didn't seem to get reviewed. It is an absolute stonewall penalty. The Ghanaian defender catches his foot from behind as he's trying to close him down. It should have been a penalty. It's not a penalty. The referee just waves it away. Doesn't even give it any consideration. I thought the referee had a really poor game. I think I think Uruguay can feel rightly aggrieved by what happened. Uh, yes, in the match, yeah. Um, uh, first of all, I agree completely with what you said about uh, De Arrasqueta. He was very, very important to Uruguay's build-up play. Um the first goal is a good example of that, not because he scored the goal, but because of where he attacked it from. I mean, this guy was playing left wing nominally, but what he was actually doing was cutting inside, being a really good link between the forward and midfield lines, giving the centre mid someone to actually play through at times and someone for the forwards to play off as well, other than just alongside each other. So the fact that he came in from the right side of the penalty box is because just beforehand, during the build-up of that move, he had run infield off the left flank, gone into the centre of the pitch, then slightly out to the right as well. And that's where he came in from. Uh, So really, really good first start for him. Apparently, a lot of the players uh, were asking Diego Alonso to start him. So very, very uh, big decision that he took to switch, obviously, to the back four, leave out Godin. I thought Seb Coates was really good in defence. Jimenez Mm. made a a couple of really good blocks as well. But I think Coates was probably the most ongoing, diligent defender of them all. Um, So, yes, they could definitely feel aggrieved at that. Certainly the the Cavani one. I mean, that's a ridiculous thing to not even have been looked at. There was no pause in play or anything. I don't know if the VAR did or was checking it out. But like I say, they they carried on playing anyway. And it looked 
completely like he just stepped across him and took him out, sort of clipped him across the calf and down he went. Um, but also they had their own chances to score again. I think Cavani putting the ball across the six-yard box for Coates rather than shooting himself was mm. probably the safer option in theory, but it was Cavani. Yeah, so and it was Coates who's a centre-back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I have a, a little bit of sympathy for Cavani for taking that decision because I, most of the time I would want the player to pass, but you are one of the best forwards or finishers your country has ever produced. Probably that's your moment, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but in general, no, no sympathy for Uruguay. They were they were way too passive in the first two games. They didn't have a barely a shot on target for the first two games. The forwards didn't really play too well for the first two games. The setup was not right for the first two games. They were not attack minded enough for the first two games. So you're out. That's how it goes. So there's no point in chasing the referee and getting annoyed and everything afterwards after one ninety minutes when you've had another two to sort your problems out and you haven't. So I don't have any sympathy for them. I'm actually very disappointed with Uruguay. Um, Ghana yesterday, just to give them a little bit of focus, um, a little bit of what I've been saying throughout the tournament, to be honest, you can see that, again, there's not too many uh, people who are absolutely settled in their roles and a couple of people who are below the level of the players they've now brought in. Uh, Daniel Amate, I thought, was largely stinking yesterday. Um Salas, who had a decent game, a couple of really important moments, the clearance off the line. I've been actually really impressed uh, in midfield by Salas Abdul-Samed. I thought he mm. played a pretty good group stage overall. Really good ball winner, good at carrying the ball from defensive to midfield thirds. Um, nice link-up play at times. He's been in the channels. He's really energetic, gets around the pitch. A little bit loose in passing sometimes, but in ball carrying and, and technical traits like that, really good, I thought. I thought he even outshined Thomas Partey in a couple of the matches. So very good for him. Obviously, they've still got to figure out how to use Mohamed Kudus. And I hope, for Ghana's sake, yesterday showed that they have to use Kamaldin Sulemana. Because when he came on, he was probably the best wide forward performance that Ghana have had at these tournaments, uh, other than maybe the second half when Kudus scored the couple of goals in the last game. Yeah, I thought he was excellent when he came on. I thought like they just couldn't deal with him at all, and they had to largely resort to kicking him up in the air. Um, I thought Ghana's approach... It, Ghana clearly knew South Korea had scored, and they knew they were going out, and they just decided, we're taking these with us, because they shithoused their way through extra time, wasting as much time as they could, running the ball into the channels when they could have attacked the goal, making a late substitution that was, you know, a very slow substitution. They clearly just decided, if we're going out, we're taking you with us. Um, on the, the Cavani to Coates ball, Coates' shot takes a deflection from the defender and goes out, and it should have been a corner, and it wasn't given either. Now, I can accept that because, you know, bang, bang type of things where it hits one and hits the other real quickly is fine. I was watching the game on on Fox and the bias of the commentary against Uruguay was about as staggering as I've ever heard. Completely dismissed Uruguay's claims for a corner, completely dismissed Cavani's claim for a penalty. And then at the end of the game, now I know it's not a good look for the Uruguayan players. But they approached the referee and he just started waving yellow cards around the place. That's when they got properly annoyed at him. And then he ran away. 
Now, the referee needs to go and stand in the centre circle and own his decisions and explain to the players why he's given those decisions. And if he needs to pass the book in those conversations to VAR, he can do that. But you can't run down the tunnel like that. You cannot run away. I'm sorry, it's cowardly. It was a shit performance by the referee and he should be ashamed of himself. But I have no sympathy for Uruguay overall because of how they played. I agree with you on Salis Abdul-Samed. He's a very promising ball-winning midfielder and he's one of the players that um, Len signed in the summer. They signed him and John Onana. Now, Onana hasn't played yet. Um, they signed the two of them to replace Takure, who we were both fond of, who went to Crystal Palace. Um, moving on, the late games. Cameroon won Brazil nil. It's an entirely rotated Brazil team, but they're still clearly the better team. Martinelli seemed to be on a one-man mission to try and score, but credit to Cameroon's manager. He got a lot of stick over the decision to send home Onana, but Apassi had a great game and made a number of really good saves, kept Cameroon in it, and in the 92nd minute, Vincent Abubakar scores a brilliant header, like as good a header as you're going to see in the competition, to give them a 1-0 win, whips the shirt off, having already been booked, it's a second yellow, you could see the referee didn't want to send him off, like he apologised to him before he sent him off, and again after he sent him off, but he had to send him off because if he doesn't give him a yellow card, he probably doesn't get another game in this World Cup. You know how ridiculous FIFA are with these rules. So Abubakar, it's probably the end of his World Cup career, but he goes out on a high. He scored two, well, one really good goal today, and then that ludicrous goal he scored against Serbia with the, the lob thing. Um, he can be happy with how his World Cup turned out, and Cameroon can always say they beat Brazil. Yeah, and really, there were only one goal in the other game away from going through in the end as well. Um, so, you know, the late goal, the, you ride your luck at times. I don't know how Brazil missed as many chances as they did. It seemed anything would happen to stop that ball going in at times. Um, Guimaraes and I think it was Martinelli missed about four between them in the last minute and a half of the game. Um, it was it was quite something to watch. Good to see Fabinho get a run out. I'm not really sure quite how well he played because I was only glancing up at that game every now and then but it was um, like you say another another big result for Cameroon in their World Cup history Brazil presumably don't really care too much nothing nothing was really going to affect them anyway so a decent opportunity to get some some fitness into people of course it could have gone a slightly different way if uh, Switzerland had have scored any more goals Brazil would have come second mm. but worked out all right for them in the end it did. It did. So everybody sort of goes home happy. Obviously, Cameroon would have liked to go through, but they put forward a good a good showing at this tournament. And, you know, they had that big come from behind draw against Serbia, which they'll take a lot of pride from. And then obviously beating Brazil. So fair play to them. And Brazil, they topped the group. They'll take nothing from yesterday because, like, like we said, it was an entirely changed eleven. Uh, in the other game, then, Serbia 2, Switzerland 3. Uh, the power cube, Jordan Shakiri puts Switzerland 1 up on 20 minutes. Alex Mitrovic with a great header 
on 26 equalizes. Vlahovic with his first contribution of the World Cup makes it 2 1 on 40, on, sorry, on 35. And then the Serbians just completely fall asleep at the back, get quite easily played through, and Bolo taps home on 44 minutes. The Serbians come out asleep in the second half as well. But this goal, Carl, this is one of the best team goals of the World Cup so far. Shakiri flicks it in, it's a flick on, and Remo Freuler, who's not known as a goal scorer, great touch, great finish. That's one of the best goals of the tournament so far, in my view, from a team perspective. Yeah, definitely. It was a fantastic goal. Um, again, another mad match. Serbia, again, nobody to blame but themselves. Very, very angry yesterday if they were looking to go through. It certainly wasn't going to be on the uh, disciplinary points ruling, was it? I think we can say by the end of the game. Um, uh, I think Switzerland did pretty well for large parts. I think they were overpowered and over run through when Serbia got their minds set, but Serbia was so, so easily distracted from the actual match. It was unreal. Um, you know, said the same thing about them all the way through. When things click as a football team, very, very good, very difficult to mm. stop. We'll score against anybody, but the emotional side of their game, the the mentality that they have. No maturity in the team, Carl. Oh my God, it's no maturity at abominable. all. It's so, so pathetic to watch at times. And I'm sure there's like, you know, many things that I could not resonate with in terms of their national pride and things like that. But it's still a game of football which you are trying to win and mm-hmm. not. And they didn't win any of them. And they were rubbish. And it's their own fault that they didn't win any of them. Yeah. They were they were poor in the first game. But they, they were good in the first half of the first game, but not at playing football. They had the discipline in the first half against Brazil that they lacked in any of the four halves against the other two teams. It was rubbish. There's no other word for it. I'm really disappointed with Serbia. Um, uh, they're the team I'm, I'm most disappointed with from this World Cup. I, I like we saw it yesterday when they had a couple of moments where they just went quick, quick attacks and got the ball to those two big bully strikers and got goals from them. But you're looking at a Serbia team yesterday, Carl, with six players, six giant players over six three, and they didn't take advantage of it. They didn't try and force set pieces. To get those players in the box where, you know, you've got Kostic and Tadic, two of the best set-piece deliverers in world football. They never took advantage of that in this entire tournament. They never used the one thing they have over everybody else is their physicality. They're a giant team. If they had focused themselves defensively and then played to their strengths offensively, I... I think they would, like, I picked them to go to the final. And I think they could have, but there was no discipline. I think Pixie, um, Dragan Stojkovic, I think he had an absolute stinker. And I think he needs to go. There's a number of managers that need to go, and he's right up there, top of the list. I think he had an absolutely awful tournament. I don't understand how Sasa Lukic played pretty much every minute, and Illich didn't play a single minute. Illich is a significantly better midfielder than Lukic and not a minute's play absolutely shambolic stuff I think he's got to go and they've got they really have to readdress things because they have to be embarrassed they have to be embarrassed going home at this point it's not like they were in a group of death like they're a better team than Switzerland they're a better team than Cameroon they had advantages and leads in both games and threw them both away I mean, they leave with more points than Qatar and Canada, and that is all. 
that's it. Nobody yeah. else got fewer points than Serbia have in the end. Yeah. And look, you know, we both picked them to go deep into the tournament, but we also both said at the start, this is a team who will go the distance or bottom of the group. Yeah. And the the yeah. fact that it is it, the fact that it is the latter shows that massive, massive immaturity in this squad. There are players here who are like seasoned professionals playing for teams who habitually challenge for stuff. Mm. Vlajevic, Kostic just won a European competition. Mitrovic we know about, but like he's been in the teams in the Premier League who are like professional and diligent enough. He's had enough managers. Milinkovic Savic playing at the top of um, uh, Serie A for how many years? These people should have been like leading things, not not ringleaders in trying to batter Granite Xhaka who shits himself because he tries to look hard and then all of a sudden five massive Serbians come up to him. That's the thing that they seem to take most pleasure in yesterday. Getting involved in intimidating got, a few people. Yeah, him and Shakiri, they got far too caught up in the whole... Yeah, and we know, we know now, why, Shaqiri right? And it's and not, Xhaka play into that. Yes, it's not for us to say that they absolutely shouldn't at any point or that it's wrong, blah, 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 blah. Nothing to do with that. It's the fact that, again, they've let that take precedence over the football game, over what they're trying to do at the World Cup, over the victory. The fact that they were, again, in front and have let things get away from them because the focus isn't there. It's, I think, so, so poor. And I think that not just the managerial change, but a couple of people who have played very, very prominent roles in this squad need to learn that either you do this and this is what happens, or you don't be such a, a prominent player for us and the team is better. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think there's, there needs to be big changes and there needs to be a crackdown on the mentality of that team. I mentioned Pixie leaving. There are also rumours uh, of Diego Alonso leaving the U- Uruguayan job. Now, it seems like that might have been in the works for a while because there are strong reports coming out of South America that he is to be replaced by Marcelo Bielsa. And the only question I have for you, Carl Matchett, is when are we moving to Uruguay? <laughs> as because soon as we find out what region Bielsa is going to be living in. Bielsa Chaos Ball with Darwin Nunes as the focal point. And everything going through Valverde. Oh, that would be... I literally, I will literally watch every Uruguay game if that comes to pass. It's a shame that you know, you know, we're we're at the end of Suarez, Cavani, Godin. But I'll I'll be honest. If I was taking over that job, if any of them are retiring from from football, not just international but club as well, there's talk that Godin might. I'd be putting him on my staff, hmm. and I'd be saying to them who are those who are keeping playing, for as long as you want, there's a place in the squad. You're not going to play a whole bunch, but there's a place in the squad. Because I do think it's important to keep the likes of Suarez, Godin, Cavani, Caceres, those four in particular as outfielders, around the group and allow the younger players, and there's some really talented young players, to learn from those four. Muslera, I think, is going to retire. So you hire him as your goalkeeping coach or, or one of two goalkeeping coaches because you want them around the squad. You need that. You need that brain trust that's been through all of these wars. And you just say, look, strap up for one more war. Let's go and win the Copa America. You're you're not going to be around to play in the next World Cup, but you can be around for the Copa America. Let's go win that and go out on a high because the World Cup 
was a shambles. And we put all the blame on Diego Alonso. We don't tell them it's... Luis, you were shit for two games, but it wasn't your fault, son. Um, yeah, if, if, if Bielsa takes that job, there's going to be serious discussions in my house about, you know, the potential move. Um, let's move on then. We have two games today. So a nice change mm. from the four. It's a, a relaxed day. 3 p.m., Netherlands versus USA. And I have been told to ask you, Carl Matchett, by the listeners, are you finally going to show the USA some respect? Yes. Should we start with the predictions and go backwards? Yes. I'm going to predict that USA only lose by two this time. There's the respect. This is not this six is nil. Not this is six an outrage. Nil. Down to two nil. This is an outrage. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is what I have to put up with all the time. You're only having to put up with it when you listen to them. Um, Carl, I think the US are going to overrun this Dutch team. And it is entirely dependent on how that Dutch back three performs as to whether or not they will qualify. Because I don't think they've got the cutting edge up front unless Memphis Depay really finds form. Gakpo has scored in each of the games, but I, for, he doesn't. There's nothing. He doesn't. I, I don't warm to him as a player. There's nothing about him that gets me thinking he's someone I'd love to watch regularly. He's someone I'd want in my team. I think he's a less talented Marcus Rashford. In midfield, they've been very, very average. And Frankie De Jong spent an entire game in the pocket of Moises Caicedo. I think he might spend an entire game in the in the pocket of. Um, Eunice Musa today and I can see that American midfield overpowering the Dutch duo of Frankie and whoever probably Martin Darun who was probably the best partner in the group stage yeah I agree I, to be honest I think that there is a, a marked lack of midfield to forward connection with both of these teams um, like you say Gakpo has had like moments he hasn't had like a, a game where he's played really really well all the way through he's been like unbelievably important for this Dutch side they'd be out without him despite the fact that they were in a relatively routine group let's say um, so I think he's been important for them but he's not someone who affects the game from the positions that they're playing him let's let's add that in because he's not playing in you know his normal role from club level let's say um, he's not someone who affects it for them all game long. He's not someone who all the play will go through, nothing like that. So I think that this is actually one of the first games, one of the few games I can see in this round of 16 matchup where I could be fairly sure I would say there's not a lot going to happen here. It's going to be so tight. It's going the distance. Like extra extra time in this first game, I would not be one bit surprised with. Um, I could see like you say, USA being quite dominant in terms of the midfield battle. Netherlands probably have a good bit of possession around their own defensive and defensive midfield thirds, but don't really go too many places with it. USA should be a bit better on the counter-attack than Netherlands, I think. Um, but that is still going to leave them going up against Nathan Aku, I think has been all right. Virgil van Dijk has been pretty good. And Julian Timber, who has come into the team and been mm. better. Um, you know, I don't Significantly know. better than uh, Matthias De Ligt was. I, I don't know why he didn't start that first game, but the least obviously there's a bit of a, a problem moment in his career, so he's got things to overcome. Um, I think USA are, oh, sorry, have been or were playing better in the group stage than Netherlands, but I don't mm. think they were playing particularly well um, in terms of build-up and movement off the ball and speed of 
exchanges a pass in, still got a decision to make of who starts at centre forward, which is not problematic. It's probably one that they can feel isn't going to be decisive in any particular game. Might be, but isn't necessarily going to be. It's more those wide forwards, more the, the second line, if they can get someone joining up from midfield a bit. The only thing I would say about USA's midfield, that as good as it's been off the ball and uh, in terms of fairly decent combination pass and all the rest of it, I'd like to see one of the three commit to joining the attack a good bit more. I, I yeah, don't, I don't see quite. I think it has to be Wesley McKenney. Yeah, it does. Absolutely, it does. I think he's the one. Like he had that great chance against England, and he just was leaning back, didn't get over the ball properly at all. But yeah, I think it has to be him. If this game was sixty minutes, I'd back America to win. Because I think for an hour in each of their games, they've been really good. And I think the last half hour of each game, when he started to make changes, has been fairly shaky in each of the games. Like, the Welsh came back and got their draw. England had their only real, you know, phases of play that actually led to something in the last 30 minutes. And Iran kind of had them pinned a little bit in the last half hour as well. But it is not 30 minutes, uh, or it is not, not uh, 60 minutes, rather. And the other thing is, obviously, the Americans forgot when they were packing for uh, the World Cup. You know, they put their socks in, their boxers, their clothes, uh, some spare shoes, whatever else they're packing. They forgot to pack a striker. Mm-hmm. And, and that's obviously, a, you know, a, a source of of interest as well. The fact that, you know, Ricardo Pepe's not had a great time since going to Augsburg, but he's done pretty well out on loan this season. Could have brought him. Could have gone to Fowler and Balogun, who's having a great old time with Reims this season, said, look, we know you're torn between, you know, England, Nigeria and us. You come with us to the World Cup and you're starting in a World Cup or you're going to play in a World Cup. And they didn't do that either. Uh, whoever takes over from Burhalter when he's out the door needs to go to Balogun and say, you're in the team. Uh, I'm going to predict that the Dutch win this game 2-1. But I do think America are going to make it really, really tough for them. And I wouldn't be surprised if the US pulls off a shock. I'm going to go 1-1, extra time. Don't know what happens after that. But I don't really like either of these teams to score two goals against each other. I'm I'm backing Memphis to just have a moment of magic more than anything. I think he's he's going to have a moment in the tournament. I think it might be today. Uh, the other game I, then. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, if I do pick one Dutch player to make the difference here, I think David Klassen's runs from deep might be the one that they struggle with because um, he actually does get into the box and beyond the forwards at times and it can be you know, quite late runs off pullbacks and stuff like that. So not the greatest player anymore, but I think David Klassen's off-the-ball stuff is maybe the, the bit I would pick out for Netherlands to have a slight edge. That's a fair. That's a fair point. It is worth noting, though, the even though I've predicted them to concede twice today, the Americans haven't conceded from open play yet. Yeah. Now, how long that can continue with you know, like the group of centre backs that they have, I, I think today is is where it stops. But like I said, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they found their way through because I do think they can overrun and outbattle that Dutch midfield. It's just a matter of how long they can sustain it for. Um, the other game then today is Argentina versus Australia. The Socceroos, obviously, one of the surprise qualifiers for the knockout phases. 
Argentina, they lost to Saudi Arabia, but managed to bounce back and beat uh, Mexico and Poland. It's just the whole plan today is stop Messi for Australia. That has to be it. Just, just stop him. Kick it's him, fine. do whatever gonna, you can. They're going to put Harry Sutar on him and he'll be fine. To put him in a, just pick him up and carry him round under his arm. Yes, exactly. Tuck him under your armpit and just run around all game with him. He'd be fine. And head everything. Head absolutely everything. Um, if 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 Scaloni is as brave in this game as he was in the Poland game with his midfield selection, if he goes Enzo, McAllister, and whoever. Probably Rodrigo de Paul, who had his best game of the tournament playing with those two. I think I think the Argentines go through. I, I don't yes. think he should start Latour Martinez, though, because no. I think he's been really poor. I think it has to be Alvarez. Now, the question is, does he start Di Maria today? Because there's been some talk that he's not at 100% and might need to be left out. Well... If you genuinely think that you're going to go deep into this competition and you might need to rest him, I think this is one where it wouldn't be outrageous. You know, Argentina should be better than Australia, even without one player playing. Um, not not just without one player, but you know, with with one player replaced by somebody else. I think it's important Julian Alvarez starts. He was you know comfortably more impactful than Lautaro has been at all. Uh, Look, Australia's obvious best chance is to do what they did in the first two group games. Go hard from the start, try and get a goal, defend for your lives. That is going to be the approach, I would imagine. And they have to take the chance if and when it arrives in those early stages. And we all know that football works in exact linear ways. So the fact that Saudi Arabia beat Argentina and Saudi Arabia and Australia are very closely matched in Asian qualifying that naturally means Australia are winning this game, right? That's that's how football that's works. That's how it works. That yeah. is how football works. In this World Cup, Carl, that probably is how this works. Because, <laughs> like, it's been lacking in quality, but I've said this to you before, it really does remind me of the 2002 World Cup because there's just shocking results and shocking performances, both good and bad, everywhere. Yes, I mean it's been very, very hit and miss for for some of the teams, and especially I think some of the the biggest, the bigger nations. Argentina, obviously, a good example of that. They um, have looked really good and have looked really bad as well. So um, I, I was joking before, of course, as well. Saudi Arabia were like far, far better than Australia, who needed to qualify and then another incidental qualifier just to get hit. Saudi Arabia pretty much cruised through qualifying, so there is even a big gap between those two nations. Nobody is going to expect anything other than Argentina win here, which means that if Australia do anything other than get battered, they've probably exceeded expectations mm. in this game, and they've already exceeded expectations in getting to this stage. Like yeah. They've done phenomenally well to get where they are in this World Cup through the qualification phase, which wasn't great, through the group stage, which, which looked very, very difficult, uh, especially after a big defeat in the first game. So this is bonus round for them basically yeah and if they go out and give a good account of themselves and like i say give themselves a bit of hope if they give you know all the many many people that will be watching back at home at ridiculous times something to massively cheer at any point in the game that's probably their best ever moment of the world cup ever 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 
Mm. I agree. I agree. I, if if they can if they can get a goal and they go out say two one, you know if Argentina come back and beat them two one, that's still a, a really good outcome for Australia because like we said nobody expected them to get to this point. Like no one had them. Well, Aussies would have had them coming through, but nobody really realistically thought they'd get out of that group, especially having been battered in the first game. Uh, I I think Argentina will win fairly comfortably. I'll go 3-1 to the Argentines. Yeah, I was going to go for the same score. I, I hope Australia score fast. Fast mm. does give Makes it interesting. Moment. Yeah, and it makes it interesting, and it forces Argentina to react and play the way that you'd expect them to. But yes, I think at least a two-goal margin of victory should probably be what we expect. Right. So those are our two games today. I think both should be pretty good in in different ways. I think that that Netherlands USA game, like I said, it's it's the the American midfield against the Dutch defence, and whoever rises above wins that game. Um, I think Argentina versus Australia is just interesting because of how the Aussies set up, how quick they're starting games, how aggressive they are in the first kind of 25 minutes of games. And like we said, if they get their goal and then they can just sit in and and defend the way they did last time out, I think it could be interesting. You have a piece up on the independent with your team of the group. Now, I don't want you to spoil. I don't want you to give give us the whole team, but give give me one obvious inclusion who you think everybody would have said pre-tournament would have been in and that you've been impressed with. So one of the stars. And then give me one that you've put in the team after thinking, I really wasn't expecting him to be this good to this stage of the tournament. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Um, Firstly, I will say that this was actually, although most of them are mine put together, we've got obviously a few guys out there and they have put through the selections from the teams they've been to every game of. So there are inclusions which are not specifically mine. But one of the ones that is mine, who I absolutely expected to pick and absolutely has been picked, Kylian Mbappe. That's a fairly easy one, I think. Mm. So it's nothing nothing outrageous there, but he just looks the player every defender at this World Cup is going to be scared of. He's been in such, such sharp form. Um, the pace and the ball carrying and the finishing, obviously, he just looks very, very tuned in, which I think is a big problem for everybody else. Yeah, I, I think he's terrifying. I think he's absolutely terrifying. And we've, we talked about Harry Souther, and, and look, he's been he's been tremendously good. But if he gets isolated at any point on Mbappe, he is in serious trouble. Now, he might try and head him, but he's not going to be able to do a whole lot of much else. Listen, if Harry Soutar is playing against France, then Argentina have suffered a massive shock today, mate. Oh, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Never mind. Never mind. I don't know what. I don't know where my brain went with that. Um, right, give, give me one. They already played each other. Uh, give me, give me one then, who, um, who you didn't expect to perform as well as they have. Um. Okay, I've put Josco Guardiola. I have had to cheat because I didn't think there were a lot of great left backs, so I've put him in as left back, even though he's been centre back, but he plays left back for Croatia quite a bit. So mm. I have put him in because I think he's been excellent. And I didn't necessarily think, although I like Guardiola's defender, I didn't necessarily think he would be the leader of the defence at this point. I didn't necessarily think that he would be one of the most consistent performers at his age 
at this tournament with who Croatia had to play. But the situation has demanded that he be excellent, and he has been. And I think it speaks enormous volumes for which clubs and what level of clubs and how much they're willing to pay for him uh, probably in the summer. He has just been relentlessly good and needed to be. Here's the question for you. If if Joe Gomez goes to Jurgen in the summer and says, I want to go and play somewhere else because I want to play, and Costa Simicus does the same, would you take Josko Gvardiol as the replacement for both? Now, he's a little bit short and not quite as dominant in the air as a Jurgen Klopp centre-back normally is. But he's so, so talented that I th- he's, he's as good in the air as Gomez. And, I mean, at left-back, he's got Trent-esque, not quite as good, but Trent-esque levels of passing and range of passing. And he's more than happy to get up and down the wing, not to the extent of Andy Robertson, but he does it very well. He's a good cross through the ball. Would you go big on someone like him if Costas and Joe were to turn around and say, look, we, we've done our time as, as squad players, but we're in our mid-20s and we want to be playing every single week and we're not going to get that here? I think it would depend on who else we had because Liverpool obviously have had, let's say, issues at centre-back in terms of keeping people fit. Now, I think Ibrahima Kanate is, is set to challenge um, Mitoma for best player on the planet at some point. I think it's just going to be between those two. That seems fairly obvious to me. But he obviously has had a few injuries to overcome. And until we can be sure that it isn't going to be a case of three months every single year that we're without him, I, I think we must have five centre-backs. And it's quite difficult I think then to also say one of you is a regular at left back especially with Andy Robertson's amount of game time and the fact that he has had a couple of drop-offs in form I think Robertson has been one of the ones who has benefited most from having competition in the squad so mm. if you take away the direct position on competition and it's more a position cover when needed on that side I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure I'd be okay with that. See I, I for me I'd love to get Gradiol in and I'd I, Go and look to bring in someone like Tosin Adarabayo from Fulham, who's had a contract in the summer, and say to him, look, you're going to be the fifth centre-back, but you're going to play because the two guys you're largely behind are Ibu, who's got some injury issues, and Joel Matip, who's got all the injury issues. So you're going to get some games. Um, He's not a great centre-back, but he's a good centre-back. He's a lot better than Nat Phillips, and he's a lot quicker than Nat Phillips, which is kind of one of the important things. I just to pass on someone like Vardiol would be it'd be tough, especially if he does land in the Premier League. The ideal is that Real Madrid realise they need a left-footed centre back and that they need to put David Alaba back to left back, and they go big and get him and leave Jude Bellingham alone. But um, if he ends up at Chelsea or Spurs, it'd just be horrible to have to watch him develop into what he's going to be a great player. Uh, we'll leave it there then. We've gone long again. That's my fault. But, um, you know, we need to discuss this move to Uruguay at some point hmm. and what it will mean for, you know, our families who just won't see us ever again, because I'm not I'm not coming home from Uruguay to visit anybody. If you need to see me, come and see me. Uh, right. What have you got coming out today that people need to read? Or is there anything else that you want to highlight on The Independent? 
the Morocco piece, again, I think is worth a read if people haven't yet. Uh, good look at their progression and what the team has built around us. Also, one of their players, Liverpool, have been heavily linked with in Italian media this mm. week. And obviously the other piece is the team of the week. So people can go and sorry, team of the week, team of the group stage. So people can go and have a look at that and shout at me for picking the wrong ones. From tomorrow's pod, we're only going to be having four games to look at. So the, the two that have been played and the two that will be played. So we'll have a bit more time to sort of dig into things a bit more um, and maybe take more of a Liverpool based look at certain players, uh, including the player you've just um, alluded to there. But for today, that is it. Uh, follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Follow Guy at Guy Drinkle. Follow me at Mr. Two Footed. And we will see you tomorrow. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds. And it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.